Thanks for joining us. This is Shannon with our audio audio blog for my journey from educator to entrepreneur. For a long time, people have asked me to tell my story of how I came from the classroom to where I am today. As I'm so focused on the future and the work that we're doing in schools today, I don't usually take the time to stop and reflect on how I got here. Honestly, it's really hard to look back at the series of events that has led me led me here and to pick out the highlights. However, recently I was asked to do just that. A dear friend of mine, Danny Purcell, recommended me to Susan Klein, an educator turned entrepreneur who specializes in helping educators who are ready to leave the classroom pursue more freedom in their lives. She was hosting a virtual summit and wanted me wanted to interview me. The work that Susan is doing is very profound. As I work with different schools, I see a lot of educators in our country who are really overworked. They're underpaid and are incredibly underappreciated. Many teachers feel stuck in their classroom, lacking both passion and purpose. I hope that by participating in Susan's Summit and telling my story here, I can help even one of those educators start to think about how they might be more, there might be more out there for them that they can experience fulfillment and purpose again. The word entrepreneur sounds a little odd when applied to myself. It sounds like it should describe someone who has done something out of the ordinary, who has struck out on their who has stuck out on their own, created something or innovated a new product that will change the world and is now actively marketing and selling that thing. Of course, if I look at the direction of my career, moving from elementary classroom teaching to consultant, I am absolutely an entrepreneur. My entire journey at this point has been a series of doors opening and closing. I'm a firm believer that if you put get in, good in, that you will get good back. There are so many toxic and negative people who, re- who reap that negativity back in their lives. But I think by being positive and having a direction or a vision for your life, you can really make anything happen. I went to Michigan State University because my sister went there when I got my degree in both special education and general education. At Michigan State, you were required to do a whole year of internship, and I did mine both in elementary and special education. Just before I finished my internship, I put my put out resume after resume. The lines of the jobs fairs were forever long, but because I had a dual degree in elementary and special education, I got to go straight to the front. I remember getting over 32 calls for interviews, even after I was already hired by Troy Public Schools in Michigan to go straight into a teaching position in a self-contained special education classroom. I literally finished my internship, went on spring break, and came back that very next Monday to my first teaching job. Troy is a very affluent area, but I was in the Title I building that was very transient and also had a high ESL population. My first classroom was a resource room of sorts. Even though children didn't come straight to me um, to hang up their coats, I still... It was still like a self-contained room, but I had, um, when I came in to the classroom, I had four filing cabinets filled with old purple line dittos. Some of them had rusted paper clips holding the stacks together. There was an in and out folder for every student in the classroom with the, the dittos and a Dick and Jane book inside every folder. So the teacher in the classroom would read a very controlled phonics book, and then the students would sit and do their in and out dittos. During the spring break before I started, my family helped me fill an entire dumpster with stuff that I had cleaned out from the room. At Michigan State, everything we learned was 
on a more engaging level, so I didn't see the need for the faded purple line dittos. Even though the filing cabinets had one of every single subject, I was able to reduce it down to f- the four filing cabinets down to one, and it asked for $1,000 to be able to transform the room into what I thought special education students needed. My start in education was really a very entrepreneurial in nature. I didn't have to follow the general education curriculum because I was dealing with students in my classroom that were had, were on the autism spectrum, emotionally impaired, cognitively impaired, all the way you know to learning disabilities. With such a range of needs, I really had to design and create things for the kids in my classroom to meet their needs. My students did have one thing in com- my did my students did have one thing in common. However, almost every child on my caseload couldn't read. I quickly realized that though I had learned a lot from Michigan State, I never really learned how to teach kids to read. So I went and got my master's degree in reading and a reading as a reading specialist certification from Oakland University. I wanted to feel confident that even though I was new to the profession, that I could really help kids to read. This was a pivotal moment to what I'm doing today, though I probably didn't realize it at the time. This was perhaps the beginning of strategic intervention solutions. From day one, I felt like everything I was doing with my students needed to be very strategic. Before that, I didn't really have a full understanding of what to do with the kids when they weren't responding to traditional methods. I knew I needed to do things differently, so I started to take the approach of if what we're doing isn't working, how are we going to change it? And I didn't want to change slowly. I wanted that to make quick, the quick questions really quick. It's similar to being in the medical field. You have to analyze what you're doing in order to figure out how to repair it. After two years in that position, I was going to get married and move closer to my hometown. I applied to three different school districts that I really wanted to work in, and I got interviewed from all three. They were in a more affluent area where I felt I could really be supported in in, in innovation of things that I wanted to do with the students and what I believed in in the classroom. Though I was offered a job in all three districts, I was excited to accept the position in Northville Public Schools, which had a reputation of being very a very innovative district. I had two years of experience and felt a bit more confident, but I still was a new teacher. I was excited to be in an elementary school, again, a large ESL population and the Title I school district and a resource room and a teacher consultant. As I started this position, I was a little confused as to why they were hiring me. I didn't have many kids on my caseload, but yet I had a full and I had a full-time paraprofessional as well as an additional resource room teacher. But my school had partnered with Ed Gickling and Todd Gravois from the University of Maryland in something called instructional consultation known as ICT or instructional consultation teams, and we were trained on how to do consulting as a different way of approaching special education. Traditionally, special education was driven by child study teams. In a general education teacher, in the, in, if a general education teacher believed a child was struggling or wanted some intervention, they would sign up and sit in front of the child study team made up of the psychologist, the principal, the special education teacher, a consultant, counselor, and so on to explain their case. In most schools, it took about three weeks to get to the audience. And then the panel would ask things like, have you tried to move their seat? And, and you know, send them, send them back to the classroom with new things to try to collect more data for interventions they suggested. 
granted. And then you'd have to sign up for another meeting in another three weeks. It could take eight months to get through this process. I felt like the battle was between special education and general education. Most of the time, the general education teacher would have tried everything in their bag of trips before taking, before coming to the child study team but they would still have to jump through all kinds of hoops to get through kids tested and to hope that they, you know, to get the help that they needed. Back then, special education teachers weren't allowed to service any general education students because our certification and monies were being used for kids that qualified. I remember being on the child study team and wondering, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do the same um, special specialization for students that we're doing with special education students with at-risk kids in the general education classroom. After all, isn't differentiating instruction just good teaching? The instructional support team was asked um, was was tasked with supplying instructional supports to prevent early learning failure. In a typical school of about 20% of the student population is made up of students with learning disabilities. It is very, very expensive to be able to help them. By preventing early learning failure, we saved districts, the, our district, about a million dollars a year. We created different types of interventions to really target students early on because once in third grade hits that early intervention window comes to a drastic close and it's very hard to get a year's growth in a year over a year's growth in a year's time during my time there i got to be a part of some really amazing work thanks to bob Sorensen, then my at that time my special education director and later the founder of the early learning foundation he held great collegial meetings where I was able to collaborate with other special education teachers from other schools in districts and be able to help generate or in our school district to generate ideas. I worked with some amazing educators in my career in Northville. The instructional support team was a huge part of what we were doing to help different students. I could still say today because I've met hundreds of other people, but I, I've never really worked with such talented teachers that have had such different perspectives about what education could look like. I started to understand how to look at the whole child from fine motor development, gross motor development, visual motor integration, looking at kids that couldn't sit still. And that was the very, that was really where my interest kind of peaked. It's not like a miracle happens in special education. It's not like I had different strategies that were better than the general education teacher, but I was able to specialize the instruction to really intervene strategically for each student. I think that every teacher should have to have a dual degree in special education and general education because it gives a very different perspective about how kids learn. Our school was had a model really was a model school for preventing early learning failure. And I remember using, I, I remember people coming to present and using an overhead projector to present to teams from other schools that would come to see what we were doing. However, I always felt like the audience didn't really understand what we were talking about when we talked about things like visual memory and, and motor skills. So I decided to break it down like I did with my special education students. They, they came all this way and I wanted to help them feel or live it and understand how they could implement the same kinds of things we were doing in our school. I felt like I had a calling. When I was in front of the audience of teachers, I felt like I could help them understand by breaking down the concepts to be in more digestible pieces so that they could help build this, you know, their skills in, um, in, their, in their school. And it really helped me build my skills for my current life as a consultant. Though I'm not doing anything this, that's the same in the kind of work that I'm doing now, it was definitely a stepping stone in my journey from educator to entrepreneur.
After all of my years teaching in Northville, I had the opportunity to go part-time. I had had my daughter, Emma, and I was about to have my second child, Connor. Around that time, my special education director and mentor, Bob Sorensen, told me we ought to go on the road together. I remember thinking of that idea when I got older, maybe when I have more experience. I was only in my 30s, and even though I had several years of experience, I didn't feel qualified as someone that could go out with other educators. I knew I... Um, what I knew there were, they, you know, they were retiring and other people would do that maybe in their second career as consultants, but certainly not at my age. I felt like you couldn't really become an entrepreneur with a certainly, you know, a vast, without having a vast body of experiences. Fortunately, I didn't listen to that feeling. With the uniqueness of my background and experience, I felt like branching out was something I could, I could actually do. I also remember having visions, strange, I know, while I was running one day. I love running and even ran a marathon once before I had kids. Running has always been an outlet, a time when I can think and process. One day on the treadmill, I had a vision of this experience that I had in, you know, I had in Northville, and I felt that I could do something more. I could, I could really look at sort of the future of what I wanted to be, but I didn't really know what it was going to be at that time. Being part-time gave me the freedom to explore the purpose the, pur- the purpose of pursuing my consulting career to see if it was something I really wanted to do while at the same time being able to spend more time with my kids. I figured if it all went up in the smoke, I would always go could always just go back to the classroom full time. I split my time in several different directions. I had gotten some jobs at our ISD helping our high priority schools and had gotten some opportunities from the Early Learning Foundation to join a summer partnership and then also with staff development for educators SDE where I would be a cohort leader with some schools um, to really help understand preventing early learning failure. On the other hand, when I was working with SDE, I was in schools that were really rewarding and they wanted me to be there. They were excited for me to be there and I felt like I was able to really have an impact. On the other hand, when I was at the ISD, I was brought in by the state of Michigan into high priority schools because they were essentially failing. My welcome was not so warm there. In fact, a gentleman literally slammed his door in my face on one of my visits. I quickly realized that I did not want to be a consultant in places where I wasn't wanted. At first, it was really discouraging, to be honest with you. I was seriously considering just going back to the classroom, but then I was given an opportunity through SDE to try out to be one of their traveling presenters. I will never forget being asked to go to the Chicago for my first presentation. Normally, you pay your own way, and you don't get paid to present on your trial, but then there was someone in the room from the company, um, and there's just somebody in the room acting acting as a participant from the company evaluating you when you present. But SDE was really interested in the project I was working on, and so they actually paid my way to go and present four sessions instead of one for them. It was a surreal experience sitting on the plane thinking about how someone had is paying for my flight and I get to go. I remember that that situation um, being something that felt like it wasn't really real, but it was really happening. A bright spot is uncertain in, in a bright spot in this uncertain time was my publication of my first book, Finger Fanatics, a fine motor development program which is a foundation for our early learning work that I did and was created based on the ideas of using our interventions. We had gross motor screeners that we used, but not a fine motor, but not for fine motor skills. K 
Kids were coming to us holding scissors like they were hedgers, and every year it got worse and worse. So all of the students in our classrooms were going to be screened using the program of Finger Fanatics. In order to determine potential areas of deficit and help them to develop those so that we could become, so it didn't become an issue later on. Through my connections with the Early Learning Foundation, I pitched the idea to Finger Fanatics to some of the other national presenters I'd met, and they encouraged me to go ahead and try to do a publication. The Finger Fanatics Parent Companion was developed because we wanted something that would help parents to understand the fine motor development process so they could support them at home. The Finger Fanatics Parents Companion contained the same activities, but we stripped out all the educational jargon and wrote it at a much simpler reading level so it could be universally understood by parents. I got the book into every single early childhood program in, in our Head Start programs in Wayne County, where I lived at the time. Districts were using RTI. Once that came out, the preventing of early learning failure based on fine motor development started. Even 10 years later, Finger Fanatics is still one of the best sellers on our website. We did a second printing and even added a digital option because the topic is so much more relevant today than it was then. My teaching partner and I decided to do a job share until our kids were in kindergarten, but there were so many cuts in education at that time. At the end of our four years of part of being part-time, I had to make the decision. I had a safety net. I was going to I was I was making a good salary and had time with my kids, but I also had time to pursue consulting. But something in me just felt like it was the time to take the leap of faith and take a leave of absence. As an educator in a classroom, you can make a difference with the kids that you work with and in your building and your district that you're working with. But when I realized that I could also have an impact on teachers across the country as a presenter, that was the turning point for me. It was the point that I started to rewrite my future. That doesn't mean it was an easy decision. I struggled with my with feeling inadequate. I wasn't better than anyone else, so why should I go out on my own? What would my colleagues think? Would they feel that I thought I was better than them? There is definitely a lot of negativity and toxicity among teachers, especially at the elementary level. But in the end, I had a different vision of what I wanted the rest of my career to look like. My principal at the time, Pat Messing, knew a lot about what I was what I was doing and what my goals were, and she actually encouraged me to take that leap. She called me in her office and gave me an analogy of birds on a wire. They're all squawking and making noise, she said, but you're going to fly away, Shannon, and be fulfilled. Eventually, you'll come back to visit, and you'll find the same birds on the same wire still squawking away. It was sort of like giving me per- permission to spread my wings and see what happened. I made the decision to take the leave of absence. From there, it really feels like a blur. Originally, I was looking at working with the preventing of early learning failure as I had done up to this point, but I started morphing into looking at numeracy development. People always wondered why, as a reading specialist, I didn't go into reading. I look at the reading instruction and saw how it has changed over the past 15 years become really individualized and much more effective, but I realized that teaching in the area of math had really not enjoyed the same advancements. Why were we still page-turning through the textbook or the math book when reading was catering to individual students' abilities? I really didn't know how it would all turn out, but I do vividly remember landing my first big contract. I was taking Connor, who was three at the time, to swim lessons just a few just a few days before a big opportunity had fallen through. I was back on being scared and unsure. A curriculum director I had knew had asked me to put in a bid on a different project 
that called for math interventions in their school that had a large population population of at-risk and special education students. We were at the snack shack when I got the call. Is this a good time, she asked. It certainly wasn't, but I frantically whispered to Connor to pick anything out he wanted, handing the lady my credit card, and I dug out something to write out from the diaper bag. Of course, I lied. The bid that I wrote that day, which was on a coffee sleeve because that was the only thing I could find to write on, was one of the first bids I actually won. It was pretty intense project requiring 60 days on this campus, so I had to hire another consultant to help me with the work. I created intervention kits to go with this project, and it was the first stepping stone to where I am today. Every time I went out to bid something that didn't go the way I hoped, I would think, what am I doing? Can I really do this? And it was always three days later that something bigger and better came through. I never really advertised, but the work that we were doing was making such a difference in schools. We were working with that the word just got around. As opportunities came, the one that fell through before the coffee sleep bid actually ended up coming through and I had to hire another consultant to help me. And so the Strategic Interventor Solutions Group was born. When I first started my company, I didn't really know what to call it. So it was just called Shannon Samalski LLC. Expanding into products, as I grew as a consultant, I began to develop more products that would support my methods of intervention. Many of the products came about because I saw the need in classrooms and came up with a strategic way to solve it. My strategy game download was one of my early publications that brought the eight mathematical practices into play. I knew how to use pages on my Mac, so I knew the kids I was working with needed to be more challenged, so I went ahead and created game boards for some of the games we typically play, games that could be typically played in a classroom. Then I came up with a screener, understanding number quantities and the combination screener, because I wanted to use them in my training as a part of analyzing kids in their area of numeracy. I always thought of kids as onions, and that if we just peeled back the layers as we worked to find out the root of the problem, we would know which direction to go to. The Counting Buddy was a different story. Since it wasn't a physical product, I had seen I, I had seen and used a lot of different manipulatives in my time, but I wanted to be able to create a character that would be fun for kids, something they could use instead of dragging out counters that would end up all over the classroom. We were flying somewhere, and I drew out the idea uh, for the Counting Buddy on a barf bag from the back of my seat. I took this idea to my cousin who makes bracelets. She put together a br- bunch of different prototypes to me- for me, and then I had had the task of figuring out which one of them would we produce. We got all different parts from various places from all over the world. The factory came, the feet came from a factory in China. The heads came from an, a number of different places. The la- laces came from a place in Ohio that only sold us athletic lace by the gross, and the hooks came from a place in California. I knew there was no way I was going to be able to sit and put all these together, and maybe it would have been easier to find a place to mass produce them, but I found my solution. I paid high school kids to assemble the counting buddies. Our neighbors joked that we looked like we were drug lords because these high school students would bring us bags to our house full of completed counting buddies, of course, and then I would give them cash. Eventually, we'd transition to an in-house factory for one of my fa- one of my family members who is retired and assembles the counting buddies with her husband. 
Deco Dots came out around the same time as the Counting Buddy did. I saw the need for something really important that needed to be in classroom and then had to figure out how to make it happen. Printing, cutting, assembling these decks by hand was just not a good use of time and we needed to figure out something faster. My aunt is a graphic designer who helped me with the artwork and helped navigate navigate the print world and we produced 10,000 decks of cards that are now used in thousands of schools and homes around the world. To read more about DecoDots, check out this blog. Normally, I'm not a risk taker, but looking back, if I'd never taken the leap of faith, if I'd never listened to my internal voice over the noise of the birds on the wire, I would still be sitting on the wire, content with my lot in life, content with my lot, my lot in life. When I think of the difference I've been making in so many different schools and so many thousands of students, I'm so glad that I flew towards my vision, but the best is yet to come. Check us out next week to see how our blog continues on a journey from becoming an educator to an entrepreneur.